Welcome everybody to the Extra Credit Podcast with Everdink, a podcast where we entertain the intellectual regions of your brain. We're your hosts, Everly and Hopperdink. And today we are going to talk to you about internet filter bubbles. All right. So it was about a week ago now, and you walked into the classroom in the morning as we're getting ready to, uh, to teach something. I remember this. And he stepped in, and the first thing you said was, the internet should be taken away from us. <laughs> that was your quote. The internet should be taken away from all of us. And I obviously it led to some discussion. Yes. In and, the like brief 10 minutes we had before class. And then I think that that uh, bled into um, lunch and the, the next few days as well. It, and it led me to an analogy as I think about Legos with all my children and the Legos I step on on a regular basis. And I think the internet's a little bit like when you buy a really fancy set of Legos for a kid that's not old enough to put them together yet. And you end up with this, it's really hard, it's really complex, and they can't necessarily do it. So rather than putting together a, a Lego set of some like Star Wars creation, they take all the pieces and make some like really simple, stupid robot. And it just- That's just really sucky. Like you look at it and you go, Good job, buddy. And it is, you, you don't need it. And the more I think about this analogy, the more like, wait a second, this is the internet for us. We have this, this, this tool at our fingertips that could be amazing, right? Like Darth Vader. Well, I guess maybe that's a bad, a bad analogy, uh, but we have this, this tool. It could be this amazing Lego creation, but we've simplified it in some ways and we've altered it in so many different ways that, I'm not sure it it's living up to what we intended it to be. Yeah, it reminds me of the Sanctum Sanctorium Lego set that my brother-in-law got my kids. If you know anything about it, it's Doctor Strange's Lair. And it's like this $100, $150 Lego set that's designed for kids age 12 and up. And my brother-in-law thought it would be cool to get it for my six, at that point, my five-year-old, my three-year-old. Right now, I can tell you, I've worked so hard to save that lego set but it is now in three separate pieces it's this intricate building with different rooms and it's awesome it's got iron man and i mean it's got all kinds of really cool stuff and it is sitting in three different pieces in a plastic bag on a shelf away from my children because they wrecked it so i took that awesome lego set away from them and there's a big part of me that thinks that the lego set is the internet and particularly social media is the thing that kind of ruined it. Um, but, um, but we're gonna get there. We're gonna get to why it's ruined first. But like, as I think about it, like what it, when, when we think about the internet and social media, what are the benefits? Why is this thing? Cause you said it, this was a tool that can be used for like awesome things. Like, what is that? Let's make the case for the internet. Yeah, I, I think you need to look no further than Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and to say that their goal, their their mission was to make the world more open and connected. And right. Zuckerberg famously, like if you watch videos of Mark Zuckerberg, especially early on in Facebook, but even to this present day, he's always he uses those those exact same words, which is we're going to make the world more open and connected. That's our mission. And we are, we're more connected. We see more things. We have access to more information. We 
you, you don't need to look any farther than this past year of education to say it has provided some tools that if we didn't have, we'd be in real trouble. Right. So, so you would say that it really is, inter it has done its job um, introducing us to new ideas, new people, and different perspectives. But there's a darker kind of more screwed up side to the internet, right? So like you said that it makes us more open and connected, but aren't there some ways where it's made us more closed off and disconnected? Right. So, so we take, we take the, the Facebook mantra and almost flip it on its head in the first, uh, first five minutes of our podcast here right? to say, in what ways has Facebook actually caused us to be disconnected? And I think you really, uh, what I would go back to is the, the 2011 and the launching of Newsfeed. Okay. Uh, and it's not so much the launching of Newsfeed, but rather it's the process of how things showed up in front of a, a content um, viewer. Right. So let's go back and tell that story. So like in, in 2011, um, Facebook comes up with this new concept called the news feed. And for those of you who, and, and, and we're not going to spend, we realize that we're old guys and you guys, most of you don't even use Facebook. Mostly you're using TikTok and um, Snapchat and Instagram, probably to a lesser degree, probably Twitter and Facebook. You guys aren't even really out a whole lot, um, but we're going to get to that. But like Facebook, you kind of like, if you're going to talk about this, you got to go back to the beginning. And to do that, you have to really talk about Facebook. You have to talk about YouTube. Um, and so in 2011, Facebook develops this news feed. And I actually remember this because I remember being really mad because the way that it happened before was when you saw content on Facebook, it got pushed to you um, chronologically. So the things that you would see were just what came up in like real time, essentially. And um, in, in, in this, the, the news feed changed all of that it became a curated experience where an algorithm, a, a, a computer generated run algorithm, uh, a, a, how do we explain an algorithm to our, to it's, our. It's a mathematical equation that takes into account all the places you've been on the internet, all of the things that you've liked, all of the images that you've viewed, whatever, any, any of your online patterns, especially within Facebook, uh, and then it, it provides new material that they most think you're going to want to watch. It's, it's a little bit like, uh, like Netflix or Amazon Prime where they, they offer suggested for you. Right. right. And I think that's exactly what it's called, suggested for you and on parts of Facebook and YouTube for sure. But ultimately, they try to match your what they know about you online with what they think you're going to want to read next. Right, and and the problem is, is that they know everything. So what they did is they disabled the most recent option as a, as a feed, that, that setting was switched off, and they moved it to the news feed. And that has all kinds of implications for what um, these, these guys, or, or, or I'm sorry, what this information and how we gather information um, has has changed just a ton of stuff. So, can you can you walk us through some of the ways that that has changed? Well, I, I think it's changed our consumption patterns. In that, 
because this algorithm was so accurate. And the more time you spent there, the more accurate the algorithm became. That it felt like they always knew what was going to interest you, it, which was their purpose, right? The, the purpose of this newsfeed was to increase user time on the, on the platform. And I think as a, as a consumer, you started to say, wait a minute, everything I wanted to know is right here. And rather than finding yourself searching the internet uh, and going different places to find information, uh, Facebook dominated as a one-stop shop. And, and that algorithm kept feeding you the, what you believed you wanted. Right, and we should say that YouTube back in 2011 and 2012 and, and all the way probably up until more recent, like say 2016, 2018, somewhere in that time frame, operated the exact same way, which probably more of you guys are spending more time on YouTube than you are uh, on Facebook, uh, certainly. And, and we're going to get into um, YouTube as well. And so ultimately what this has done is by showing you the things that you that, that Facebook thinks you want to see. You, you talked about earlier how it's kind of like Netflix. And, um, um, it, and they're suggested for you. The difference there is, is that when I go on Netflix and I look at the suggested for you, if I choose to ultimately like not go with one of their suggestions, I can see the rest of the content, right? When I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed, I have no choice but to see what they suggested for me. YouTube is a little bit different in that capacity. Like it's because there's search functions and things of that nature. Um, but it's still feeding you and putting things in front of you, especially in that suggested, you know, you watch one video and on the right hand side, there's all these other suggested videos. It leads you, it's easier to click on the things that they suggest for you that show you what you want to see. And there's a difference between what you want to see and what you need to see, right? And by showing us what we want to see, they've kind of come up with three things that we feel like are really, really kind of messed up that have really started to um, hurt our society, right? One of them would be negative partisanship, which negative partisanship, if, if I would assume most of our people listening right now are not super familiar with negative partisanship. Negative partisanship is um, basically um, the amount that you hate the other party, right? So it's not so much that you love your own party, but you think the other party is bad, dangerous, and wrong. And so people have, as they've, as they've shifted into their bubbles more often, they've got that negative partisanship. We also, it also helps to spread uh, misinformation and disinformation, which is a big problem. And, and we thought about this one, the misinformation and disinformation, this idea that, that social media and the internet, really anybody has access to creating content on the internet. Uh, you know, look no further than this very podcast. You know, I think we talked about it in class today. Right? <laughs> the fact that you and I can sit here and launch a podcast that could have a, a listenership other than people, people other than the ones we come into contact with is is awesome. It's like it's great. We have this like really ambitious goal of helping kids think and, and stimulating intellectualism and getting it to be cool to think about stuff that's hard. Uh, but then you start to think about the implications of the same thing and you say, oh, wait a minute, we have good intentions and we have this access. Someone with, with evil intentions, someone with sinister intentions, or someone with just a lack of information also has the same access. Right. And this, and this really was a problem, particularly in, on Facebook 
and Twitter um, in the lead up to 2016 elections, in the lead up to the midterm elections, 2018, up through 2020. And we don't just see it in the United States, disinformation, misinformation. We see it in other countries too. Like, uh, wasn't it um, Myanmar or something like that, where like it was essentially used as like a political tool in a civil war or whatever. And like people died because of essentially misinformation and disinformation that were that were spread in this country via Facebook. Yeah, it was misinformation uh, involving ethnic groups within Myanmar uh, that, that really led to, to levels of cultural genocide. Right. And Facebook wasn't ready for this. Correct. They, they didn't they didn't have people speaking the language, understanding the culture uh, and their commitment to avoiding violent and insightful speech. Uh, they just weren't prepared to uh, address an issue like that in a in a faraway place. Right. So, so those are the problems, right? Negative partisanship, particularly in this country, misinformation and disinformation is tough. And, and you and I have spent a lot of time talking about misinformation and disinformation because a lot of people like to talk about the 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 they have freedom of opinion and they have freedom of speech, right? Um, and this is one of the reasons why we launched this podcast is because we realized that if kids are basing their opinion on mis on, on wrong information, do they really have an opinion? Right. Uh, Hannah Arndt said freedom of opinion is a farce unless the facts are guaranteed. Unless we know for sure that what we're talking about is true, then it doesn't do us any good to have a freedom of opinion. I mean, ultimately, the idea of freedom of opinion and freedom of expression is to stimulate dialogue. Uh, but to stimulate dialogue about things that are patently false becomes very dangerous. And I think that's what we have identified as our fear of the Internet is that it has stimulated this dialogue. It has amplified the dialogue about things that are just flat out not true. But once you find yourself down this rabbit hole of information uh, because of the algorithm, because of the clicks, that you've already committed and because of the your lack of freedom to to go elsewhere uh you find yourself getting getting deeper and deeper into these ideas right and so you have all these websites all these facebook groups all these like twitter groups that have that have come across and they and they share misinformation and they share disinformation and people get sucked into them and they really have this distorted sense of reality um, and so like, that's a, that's a huge problem, right? Because our democ like you said, our democracy, our society is predicated on open debate. Like that's what we do is we debate our issues. You, you convince other people of your perspective and your position and you try to get them to vote for the things that you want them to vote for. And that's how you change society. Right. But when you don't trust the facts and you think the other side has wrong facts, and so you don't trust anything coming from their side, you're more likely to, um, lead to violence and other non-democratic means of trying to get your way. In, in the end result, we see people sinking deeper back into their own tribes. And rather than looking at a world that's more open and connected, we see a world that has become increasingly tribal and uh, people turning towards groups that believe the same things and think the same things and shutting out any alternate viewpoint. Yes. And so all of this kind of is I think it's I think it would be a really good thing as we as we move to kind of start to close this podcast out in the last few minutes here to talk about how tech companies make their money. And so like why we, we've talked about like what the problems are, but we haven't really talked about why they are the way they are. So like how do tech money how how do tech companies make money? 
Good. So, so just like most media outlets, the money is made in advertisements. Like they, they have to sell advertisements and they have to convince advertisers that they can deliver up a certain audience. Uh, in, in prior to the internet, you would see this on TV and, and, and advertisers would characterize who are the, what's, what's the general demographics that watch this TV show. And you would see ads targeted towards that, that demographic. And what you see in tech companies is they need people to click on things to get information about them. And then they need people to stay on their platform. And the longer someone's on the platform, the more likely uh, they are to view the advertisements, the more eyeballs on an advertisement, uh, the greater the value of that space on the platform and the more money that this social media or internet um, place, uh, the more money they can make. So whether it's TikTok or it's Instagram, or if it's your you know parent social media, Twitter and Facebook, it's all designed with, this, with that same business model in mind. More eyeballs on the screen for longer time. Correct? Yes. Yes. And, and, and it's, it's trying to get you to stay there. And, and this is where you see the, the different elements that are really working hard to convince you to stay on a website, to give you something uh, that they think you're going to like, because if they give you the same thing that you're going to like, uh, you're going to stay there and they can turn that, that into advertising dollars. Right. And so the thing that keeps people on then, the thing that keeps you clicking, the thing that keeps you on, and, and maybe for you guys it's a little bit different because you're on TikTok. And so like there's a little bit, but when it comes to more like kind of adults, um, some of your older, some of your older peers and stuff like that, like the, like what keeps you on is the highly charged, the emotional, the outrage, the clickbaity posts. Those are the ones that get amplified and spread because it makes people angry. And when they angry, when they're angry, they doom scroll, right? And so the reason, the nuance, the intelligent, thoughtful arguments don't get shared. There's a really famous quote um, by Jonathan Swift back in like the 1700s, and he says, "Falsehood flies, and the truth comes limping after." Right? And it's and it's like social media companies have kind of weaponized that by showing us the things that we want to see, not the things that we need to see. They put us into these filter bubbles, these bubbles where we only see the things that confirm our biases and the things that confirm our ways of thinking and confirm our tribe rather than things from the outside, because things from the outside might potentially break that and get you to not click. Right. You talked the one of the guys from YouTube, that uh, French guy from from YouTube that helped create the YouTube algorithm was really disturbed by this in the 2011 uh, Arab Spring in Cairo. He realized that if, once you started clicking on one element of the revolution, you would never see the other perspective. Uh, and he spent a lot of time in his free time like developing the alternate, which would be a, a very balanced. You're going to see this piece from one side. You're going to see this piece from the other side. Uh, and there's really just no appetite uh, from the internet companies, the social media companies, for that type of behavior because it, it it wouldn't create that attraction those clicks those likes the highly emotional more likely to share uh, it's not going to offer up more personal information or data it's going to simply make you as an individual more aware of the, of the situation right and so we have this dynamic where like that's how it affects the world right and so and some of our students are not uh, some of our listeners 
are not necessarily um, impacted by by that. They're like, well, I'm not political. I don't even look at that stuff, right? And and I and, and that was something that, that I kind of thought about, right? Um, is that you're like, well, it doesn't do that because I'm not a political person, so I don't ever see that stuff. I don't ever click on it, so it's not my thing. And that's and that's totally true, right? But think about it like this: like if showing videos of cats or memes of Bernie Sanders, in my case, from last night, holy crap, I thought that was funny, and I spent way too much time going through memes of, of love Bernie Sanders. Love the gloves. <laughs> um, love those gloves. Um, if that's what makes them money, the question is, do they have any obligation to show us something other than cats because they know that it's best for us, right? Like, like that's the thing. It, it, like, if they know that we click on cats, that is indeed what they, um, you know, what they have an incentive to show us because that's how they make money. If they show us other things, then we we get bored, we get off it, they make less money, right? And so uh, I think it's a there's a there's a TED talk that you and I have listened to called Beware of the Internet Filter Bubbles, and we'll link it um, in show notes and stuff like that if you guys want to hear more about this. But he says like he says this, he says that we have the selves that we want to be like these are our aspirational selves. These are the things where like, oh, one day I should learn how to play an instrument or one day I should read that 20 minute Atlantic article on whatever. Right. And or I should really you know, be more informed about this, or I should learn about, about, um, you know, about the history of racial injustice in our country or something like that, right? You have the aspirational, this is the thing that I should do. But then you have the impulsive self, the one that says, all I want to do is look at Bernie Sanders memes, or all I want to do is scroll through silly TikToks or whatever, right? Which I think is what you guys, uh, our listeners tend to use it for, right? And so if we think of social media, it's like a diet, right? If you think about it, you want your diet to be balanced. I'm not very good at this. I don't know if you are or not. Um, but we want we want both types of things in our in our diet, right? We want informational vegetables. We want information vegetables, the things that are good for us. And we want information dessert, right? And so I think a lot of our students potentially are more compelled to, to get their dessert rather than their um, rather than just their vegetables, because that's what it's showing. Um, showing you, right? It's what it, that's what it puts in front of you. But it's even worse than that because sometimes you don't just get information dessert, you get information poison with yep. the misinformation and the disinformation. In, in, information dessert is one thing, right? Too much cat videos, okay, well, you're gonna rot your brain, but who cares? Information poison, you can do some serious harm for yourself and others. Good. And, and then we're wrapping up our time because we, we promised we'd keep these as short as possible uh, and we see what a, a challenge that's going to be. And, and we're going to come back to the Internet filter bubble in, in later episodes in, in the next episode and talk about uh, other directions and, and other um, uh, ways to combat this and as well as the implications of this in our society. But, yes, we, we think one of the first things to combat it is you have to be aware that it exists. I think it was startling to me when we asked our classes in these last couple of days, how many of them knew what the internet filter bubble was. And to me, it's someone who's, who's lived it and looked at it and spent time with it. Like, it's like we can, we can talk about this for hours and to see only a few hands raised of, of knowing what it was, was scary to me because it tells me that we have these outside forces acting on us as a result of the internet, these outside forces that we're not aware of, and thus they're controlling us to some degree. Right. And, and if the internet is going to control us, then then maybe the conclusion you drew just a week ago 
it should be taken away from us truly does uh, does ring as an important thought. Right. If my kids eat too much dessert or too much poison, I'm going to take the dessert or the poison away from them. And so I think that that next week, that's what we're, we're going to hit at with you guys is, is how do you fix this? What have tech, because we, we really left the story open. Uh, we started with what Facebook did in 2011. We, there's, there's another side of the story to tell because social media companies have started to make some changes. So we're going to tell you the story about like, what did they do to try to get people out of their bubbles to just to show them more things than, than just what they wanted to see, maybe what they needed to see a little bit more. And then we're going to talk to you guys about how do you get more information vegetables? How do you get, you know, how do you keep some of the dessert? How do you do some of that? But, but how, do you, how do you get vegetables? What is your role in all of this? Because media consumption, whether it's social media or, you know, newspaper articles or whatever, or, you know, the things that you click on, it's a two-way street. You have things that people are sending to you, but you have things that you, by action, click on. And so we're going to talk to you about that next week on another episode of Extra Credit with Everly and Dink. <laughs> Thanks again for showing up. Uh, hit us up with questions. Email us. Uh, talk to us in class in the days to come. Don't forget to like this episode. Hit that subscribe button. <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you guys.